0: Welcome to a very special Transmissions Podcast interview event. I'm Charles, a.k.a. Big C. I'm here with Yusuf, better known as Yoshi. (laughs) Jeremy, a.k.a. Yakko. Hello. And Daryl, the Cybertronian Beast. How you doing? Let's talk Transformers. (laughs) All right. And we have a very special guest. There are few creators who have contributed so much to the Transformers franchise, from iconic characters to core elements of the Transformers mythos to epic stories. Simon Furman has had a hand in it all. Not only was he one of the seminal writers on both the original Marvel UK and US comic series, he's been a key contributor to Transformers comics in every iteration from Marvel to Dreamwave to IDW. He's written transformer stories for nearly every entertainment medium from comics to television, to video games. It is our profound pleasure to welcome Mr. Simon Furman to transmissions.
1: Hey, great to see everyone and lovely to be. Thanks for inviting me on.
0: It's great to have you. Thanks for joining us.
1: Pleasure's all mine.
0: (laughs) All right, well, let's, let's get right in and, and, Start off at the very beginning. So how how did you get into writing for the UK Transformers comics back in the 80s?
1: Well, you know, by luck, uh, I was really just starting out at the time. I'd only written a few stories for a British horror comic called Scream, you know, just junior kind of creepy stories for kids. And, you know, I was just looking for any really script writing opportunities at the time. And I was lucky enough to know Ian Rimmer, who worked at Marvel UK, who in turn introduced me to Sheila Cranner, who was the editor of Transformers UK at the time, which literally was just off the launch pad, you know, maybe a few issues in, and Sheila was looking for original content for the comic, Transformers stories created by UK teams, uh, largely because It had been such a success, and even though the US was going to an ongoing series, the UK comic was already almost caught up with that in terms of what they'd reprinted, and because it was fortnightly at the time, they knew they would need uh, stories to fill the gaps while there was no US material to reprint. And so before I joined... Uh, Sheila had approached Steve Parkhouse and John Ridgway, who put together Man of Iron, which turned out to be the first of the UK stories. And at the same time, Sheila handed me a, a dossier of character profiles and uh, toy pack shots, and and basically said, "Come up with some story ideas." And the first one I pitched was the enemy within, and Thankfully, that was picked up and the rest, as they say, is history.
0: <laughs> awesome. So uh, you mentioned how you your your stories kind of weaved in between the U.S. comic uh, and in the U.S. We were monthly. So I, like I, I, back in the 80s, I was reading the, the Transformers comic. But of course, I didn't discover you until till much later in the series. And then I, I, you know, in my adulthood, I actually found out about the U.K. comic and got back into that. But uh, one thing that always, uh, always uh, interested me was how you were able to weave the UK stories in and out of the US stories. So how far in advance were you able to plan for that? Like, did did they give you uh, a lot of issues in advance or or did you have to rewrite some of your stories when the US story kind of went in a different direction that you weren't expecting?
1: Yeah, I mean, in theory, we were supposed to get upcoming story plots and 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 to know where the us was going with their storyline but we knew right from the off really that that may or may not happen and their plans may change so as much as possible our stories were designed to fit into gaps you know they they you look at the early stories and they very much leave all the the toys exactly where they were at the beginning of the story. So, you know, we couldn't do anything major status quo changing or, you know, kill off characters. We had to be very careful that, you know, if uh, Bob Budiansky wasn't using the Dinobots, we could maybe run a story with them. But we then had to leave them in the same status quo as they, they were last in the American series in case suddenly they reappeared, which they were prone to do. So really, we were, we, in a way, it was just make them as self-contained, as self-supportive as possible. But sometimes, yeah, we, we try a few times just to ease the the bump, if you like, between the chunks of UK and the chunks of US. And sometimes we would do little outros to our story that fed back in to the US storyline. There's one where I think we did a little uh, epilogue or coda that had Circuit Breaker in it that fed directly back into the next chunk of of US reprints. So we tried as much as we could to make it appear to the reader of the UK comic that there was no US or UK material. It was just one through storyline. But the reality was, we had to make ours, and by nature they were just different. You know, there was there was almost no disguising that the American comics storytelling way was slightly different to that British way of telling comics, which was a little more, I suppose, came out of that two thousand AD. You know, it was a little more sort of violent, a little more in your face maybe a little more tinged with, you know, some social satire in there, all those things, and it was hard to disguise, you know, the difference between, say, Don Perlin and Jeff Senior in terms of art was stark. You know, there was no getting around that. The colouring was different. We had Gina Hart and others hand-painting the UK stories onto special paper, so even the colouring looked different. So we couldn't disguise it, but we did what we could to make it as seamless as possible. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It's, and for me, it was a, it was a revelation discovering all those UK comics uh, much later because, yeah, I mean, I I, I love the US uh, comic run, but I but I have to say, in my opinion, the, UK's, the UK comics were, you know, a, a step above or a notch up. And I, I really enjoyed those. But yeah. Uh, in, it
1: was, in, in, yeah. some, in some ways, you know, I mean, I, you know, my sympathies were always with Bob Budiansky because he was really the guy who had to get the toys into the storyline. So, yeah. you know, almost every arc, he had to clear the decks, move the next characters in. Whereas we had more scope to be, I don't know, I suppose experimental or character driven and, you know, go off on tangents. So <laughs> if it was for us. We had much more freedom, I guess. And Hasbro UK weren't as as maybe as prescriptive in terms of you must get this character into this issue. We had a few of those, and that worked fine for us, but largely we had much more creative freedom.
0: Okay, yeah. So, uh much later, I mean after about 50 or so issues, uh, Bob Budiansky actually passed the U.S. series over to you as well. So, how did that come about?
1: Well, by then I'd met Bob. I'd been to uh, Marvel U.S. I'd, uh, you know, we, got, we obviously we corresponded over plots and and you know just keeping up to date with what they were doing. But you know, when I finally got to meet Bob in, I suppose it must have been about eighty seven or eighty eight, uh, we got on really well and. Just, you know, just on a personal level, Transformers notwithstanding, we 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 really were, you know, we, we enjoyed each other's company. So we established a rapport and a friendship right from the off, really. And then a year or two later, when Bob came over to the UK, of course, you know, at any visiting Marvel US person, we rolled out the welcome wagon, really, and took them out for lunch, to, you know, showed them around. You know, as much as we were welcomed over at Marvel U.S. offices. And when Bob came over, he and I just went out for lunch and over lunch in, in Covent Garden in London. He just said, you know, I'm kind of burned out on the book. He'd been doing it for, you know, best part of 50 issues and he'd done so much of the setup. And he was just kind of, you know, I'm ready to pass the book over He felt the book was more or less on its last legs. You know, the sales had dipped. By that point, it was a miracle that it was still going as strong as it was. So he just said, you know, would you like to take over? He, Strangely, he wasn't the editor on the book. He was only the writer. But he he had the authority, I guess, just to offer it to me and then tell editor Don Daly that that was the arrangement. That it was all amazingly casual over a beer and a whatever food we ate, but you know, of course, I was I was thrilled. You know, even if it just went four issues, it was my my foot in the door at Marvel US, as far as I was concerned. You know, you know, my account opener there. So I obviously hoped it would go longer than that, but was quite prepared that it may only be four issues or six issues. And and yet that conversation we had and Bob's slight sort of pessimism about the title was somewhat inspirational as well, because there, there became a sort of vested interest in saying, you know what, I think we can keep it going longer. I think we can give it a, a shot in the arm, a creative makeover a little bit. You know, I just feel that, you know, Bob had his own sort of way of telling stories. And we had our own way over in the UK. And we just felt that if we injected some of that grandiose space opera, gods and monsters feel that we put into the UK comic, into the US, we might, you know, sustain interest at the very least in the, the readership we had. mm mm-hmm. Did, did you wind up getting some of those same restrictions that,
0: that Bob had in terms of having to introduce uh, new characters and things?
1: Uh, not so much. We did. There was a certain amount of product that was still current and relevant at the time. And, you know, we were happy to include Micromaster. My very first storyline is a glut of Micromasters, really. And, and that was OK, as some of them were already in the story. But but why now? Hasbro were I think less focused on Transformers. You know, it was still a, a toy line that they produced, but they were winding down with that and probably looking in other directions. So we never had quite that same. And and the toy lines after that barely came at all. I don't know whether there were many post Micromasters that had to be in the book, and so we were free largely just to gather some of the characters that had never been in the comic and get those into the storyline. So, yeah, we largely, and Hasbro were always really good with us. You know, every plot had to be run by them, and they were just generally very supportive, and we didn't have anything vetoed. And, you know, we even got to do a little April Fool's gag with them where we sent them a plot that was so ridiculous and, you know, they, they, you know, got the joke, and just generally, our our relationship worked really well, and and of course, we we managed twenty five issues to, till it finally was over. So it felt a very satisfying amount we got out of that tail end of Transformers.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you do you Is remember that-, that April Fool's plot?
1: Yeah, well, I mean. I can't go into detail. I mean, it was so ridiculous. It it was, (laughs) it was all sorts of things like cup getting amorous with, with mechanical and, you know, explosives on the arc that destroys the whole thing. There was a giant cigar smoking, nun fighting Galvatron and (laughs) babies in prams getting trod on. You know, we just, we threw everything, but the kitchen sink into that, that joke storyline. And, then there was, you know, the the worst thing, uh, Rob Tokar and I, Rob was the editor by then, you know, did this, we hoped, firmly tongue-in-cheek and obviously enough that it was a gag. But there was this awful silence from Hasbro after we sent this joke plot (laughs) in. And we were distinctly worried for our future careers at this point. But luckily when we sort of gently rattled their cage and they said something like, we have a few concerns about this storyline. We sort of pointed out that it was dated 1st of April and, and and then they were just like, and actually from that point on, they loved us and we could do no wrong, you know, because I think everyone has this concept that these corporations have some sort of, you know, they don't get a joke or they don't like to be joked with. But actually the guys who used to uh, oversee the storylines, just thought we were brilliant once we'd done that with them and included them, I guess, in the joke. And and really, for the rest of the series, it was very plain sailing with our plots through Hasbro. It's
0: fantastic.
1: So what is it that keeps you
0: coming back to Transformers? So as you mentioned, Bob Budiansky did get a little burnt out. And uh, since the 80s, he's he's largely left the franchise behind. He, he comes back and does conventions and talks about uh, his, you know, the glory days and everything, but you've continually brought new ideas and stories to the franchise, and you keep doing it. So, uh and we're
1: grateful for that. So, what what is it that keeps you coming back? I suppose initially it kept coming back to me, and you know, and that was a good thing. But you know, I fully expected, and when I wrote that sort of rather glib, "It never ends" at the end of on of issue eighties letters page. I actually fully expected that was the end. You know, toys at the time I don't think really came back for encores. So, you know, G2 was a surprise to me as much as anybody else. But, you know, was I happy to jump back in? Certainly. You know, it it was, you know, I I enjoyed myself with G2 immensely. And, again, I don't think Hasbro with G2 – were so invested that they were going to be all over our storylines. They let us do much what we wanted to do with G two, and 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 so and so it's been. It it keeps coming back every time I think I'm finished with Transformers. You know, they pull me back in as as the as the <laughs> quote goes. But you know, but, but it's it's sort of it's shaped and defined my whole career, and, and <laughs> certainly latterly I'm. You know, incredibly grateful for <clears throat> in how much it's it's guided and opened other doors for me, with, and and just generally kept me in work for a career now of thirty something years. So it, it's it's always been very very good to me, Transformers. And and nowadays, whenever I get a chance to jump back in with something like Transformers '84 or Transformers Earth Wars, the game I'm working on
0: you know, I'm more than delighted to do so. Oh, great. And uh, so you're, since you've been writing comics for a long time, what was it like uh, working with uh, all those Transformers artists? How What was the process in, between the writer and the artist back then? I mean, we, you've worked with a lot of the artists in the UK, Lee Sullivan, Jeff Senior, Andrew Wildman, and also some of the US artists like Jose Delbo and Derek Yanniger.
1: Yeah, the the process was slightly different between the UK and the US. Marvel US worked what they used to call Marvel plot style, which was you broke the story down in clumps of pages. You know, you might say pages two to four, this amount of stuff happens. And you might suggest some dialogue or some individual panel scenes. But largely, you just wrote the storyline and it was down to the artist to break it down into pages and panels. But in the UK, we worked full script, which meant everything was in there—dialog, uh, the panel breakdowns—and uh, it, it allowed you more control. Um, and the, I suppose the other difference was with the UK artists, we got to know all of them. All of them came into the office to to bring in artwork or just socialize so very quickly we i knew the likes of jeff senior and jeff anderson and and dan reed and all these other guys and it, it allowed us to almost tailor our scripts often with the uk comic we didn't know because we we're on a weekly schedule who would be able and available to do which storyline and which is why often over something like Target two thousand and six or Legacy of Unicron. You've got three, four different artists on it. We we didn't have that luxury of knowing we would have an artist for a sustained period of time. So, what we used to do was, especially once I was editor on the title as well, was almost gauge the scripts and see if they which artist we thought they played to the strengths of. So it was much more in control. Whereas I suppose initially with Marvel US, I was just working with Jose Delbo and that was completely fine. But it was a much more well, that's the script, off it goes. Jose draws it, and then I lace in the dialogue. But again, once it got we got Jeff on the book and Andrew on the book, that was so much better because again I could deal with them, I could talk to them on the phone, chat with them about the stories. You know, Andrew would suggest things, and we'd allow the, the story to evolve a little bit. And I guess that's what I never had with, say, Jose, who literally was several stages removed from me in terms of communication. It's not like now, and you can just Skype anybody and just chat to them about the story. Jose was somewhere in America, separated by from me by a lot of distance and the Marvel editor's office. So it, it was a slightly more, you sent the script off, you looked at the art, great, I can work with that. But once Andrew and Jeff were involved, it, it got back to that UK style of, I knew them so well, I could tailor what I was doing and know Instinctively, they get it. Whereas, in you know, with Jose, we never had more than four or five issues together, and I'm sure we'd have got that rapport going. But there wasn't really the time for that. So it was it was great when we got Jeff and Andrew on the book. You know, suddenly all that was just ticking again. In terms of we just we know how we work, how we think. If somebody doesn't like something, they pick up the phone and say. How about we do it this way? And, and then with G2, I suppose it was back to that slightly removed way of working. You know, I didn't really have any direct contact with uh, Derek. Uh, Rob was doing all the, the amazing with him and Manny Galen and, and all those guys. It went back to much more. We would get pages in and, oh, wow, you know, most often, wow, look at that. That's amazing. In fact, often so much better than I, you imagine yourself as you're writing. So, you know, plot style has a, a benefit because, I mean, after all, the artist is the visual component. So they should be able just to take a, a, a plot and break it down. But sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes you lose that fine control of the panel to panel, the dialogue to image, you know, mirror that's going on. Whereas with full script, I, I was that much more in control. And, and that was really the way I learned to do comics. Okay. So I guess then you probably didn't
0: have much interaction with, with cover artists either. So like we know that uh, Jim Lee did uh, the cover for that issue 67 that has a, a, a really great Galvatron image. And we were just wondering if, if you ever got to interact with him. But I guess
1: it sounds like
0: you, you didn't really have much interaction
1: not so much at that point you know don Daly was the editor at that time and don really was in in complete control of the covers i think maybe we started gradually during that time suggesting covers you know i seem to remember suggesting some in that early stage that did or didn't get picked up and used um and you know I think, you know, out of that you got some great ones like that Jim Lee one that wow the Bill Sinkovich one. And you know, there's no point telling Bill Sinkovich how to do a cover. You know, he just does and <laughs> and it was an amazing thing. So, you know, I was I was both happy, you know, in the UK I used to more or less do little sketches of the covers for the artists. We're really bad sketches, I I have to say just to say this is more or less what i want you to do but you know run with it if if that's not working um and but with the us until late until uh, andrew came on the book and then suddenly we were in the same situation as in the uk where i could i could send andrew a little rough or i'd talk it through with rob and he he would send andrew a little rough of what we're talking about the the one that i always you know, from the sort of fused Megatron Ratchet onwards, I was much more involved in the covers. I think that possibly was the first one with the, you know, the, he's holding up the note and right. you've got the. Sort of, <laughs> yeah, that's right. And, you know, I mean, I remember either talking through or literally breaking those down for Andrew to do, you know, the, the surrender one. I'm pretty sure I sketched something out badly on that one for Andrew because I had a very clear in my head view of what I wanted that cover to be. And I think pretty much from there to the end of the run, Andrew and I were just talking covers. So I I guess I was more involved in that. And, you know, one last little cover story uh, with G2 – The Alas, Poor Bludgeon cover. I think it's like issue five or something. Megatron's holding his head. Uh, Rob, Rob, I was in America at the time, and Rob and I were sat in a uh, a cafe, uh, just or a diner, just talking through the cover idea. And it was one of those. There was a vote for it at the time, where you had paper tablecloths and crayons. You could literally draw onto the table top, you know, the tablecloth that you were sat at. And as I'm talking about the cover for Issue 5, Rob is sat there. Rob, very talented guy, was just sat there sketching it in amazing detail while I was talking. And we kind of tore that section out, and he literally sent that to Derek Yanniger and said, that's what we want. So, you know sometimes direct involvement was definitely, you know, and maybe it makes me a bit of a control freak, but I liked that input into the covers. I always found covers to be one of the most important things in a comic book. Did that little piece yeah. of the tablecloth have grease stains on it still too? Like it, it probably did oh. have all sorts of foodstuffs on it as well. You know, what Derek thought of it, I don't know, but, uh, you know, but yeah, it was great. We just took that section out, and Rob went back to the office and mailed it off. Fantastic.
0: Yeah, it, it, I'd have to explain to my kids that uh, they couldn't just take a picture of it because there were there were no
1: smartphones <laughs> back then. No, no, <laughs> all changed. It literally had to be sent. <laughs> So um, we've
0: uh, we've seen the UK comics get collected in the IDW collections recently. Uh, I think there's there's been five or six volumes published so far, but uh, we haven't seen everything get collected. And we know uh, the in the UK, you're getting the G1 definitive collection that has a lot of the um, the UK comics there. But sadly, that that doesn't reach us uh, over here in North America. Uh, is, do you think there's there's any hope of getting a completed collection of the UK comics?
1: I would, I would absolutely love for IDW to do, and you know, for apart from anything, I love James Roberts annotations and editorial sort of packaging that goes with those collections. You know, it's really thorough as you'd expect from James. And, you know, I love all that stuff. I think he's done a great job with those. So I'd love to see it happen. And, you know, of course, we have those black and white stories from the tail end of the UK run in color now. John Paul Bove colored all them up for the definitive G1 collection, which is behind my head at the moment. <laughs> all our little intersecting spines. I mean, you can oh, see yeah. that Yeah, that's
0: awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All million... for...
1: <laughs> Sorry? yeah it,
0: it's it's just a dream for me to to get that on my shelf, unfortunately.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a big weighty thing for the shelf. It's, it's, it ended up 100 volumes, so uh, wow. it's, it's a pretty massive collection. But, yeah, you know, John, John Paul did uh, all sort of brand new but sympathetic to the time like he did with 84. He, re- he coloured all those little five pages. So, it, you know, the good thing is if IDW do get around to a volume six and maybe a volume seven all those stories will be in glorious full color now.
0: Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, I wanted to, to, to I mean, we can't, we can't go into your entire Transformers career cause we'd, we'd be here forever, but, uh, I did want to, to ask you just what you think of how people have taken a lot of the concepts that you introduced and created and, and expanded them in other Transformers stories. I mean, uh, I think you're responsible for Primus, the Wreckers, the Fallen, the 13, all these things that have become kind of bedrock in Transformers story these days. And a lot. And you mentioned James Roberts. He's taken a lot of your ideas and and taken them a little bit further out in different directions. Nick Roche is another, uh, I think, UK fan turned professional who, who took a lot of your ideas and expanded on them. What, what do you think of that and and what do you think of uh how how you've influenced other other writers and creators
1: well I mean I think it's great i you know I love it you know I love to see particularly things like the wreckers used and and repurposed and 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 restored i guess you know we we never had a clue we were building a mythos back then you know we were just Introducing story elements that seemed to fit the story at the time, and the fact that they've now become part of something bigger—a whole, you know, mythos that underpins almost every iteration of Transformers—is is very satisfying and very uh, flattering, I guess. That these things, you know, in terms of Hasbro, even. Are, are sort of now deemed part of the fabric of Transformers. But, you know, by the same token, it's also great just to see that other creators can come in and just go off on wonderful tangents and add huge new dimensions to these concepts. And, and you know, rather than just slavishly say, here's the records, here's primers, here's this... You know, they do their version of them, their take on them. Of, you know, everything with the IDW universe was meant to be a, a new fresh coat of paint on these characters. We didn't want to just do the same thing. You know, our mission statement almost from the very beginning was if it's been done one way, don't do it that way again. If a character is this, don't lose that. Don't throw it out. But can, is there a way we can spin that in a different direction, maybe? You know, give another slant on things. So, you know, everything that creators like Nick and James and uh, John Barber and everybody who's come since is is really just following that underpinning idea of taking what was there before, like the wreckers, and saying, okay, here they are. We're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, but... This is literally our take on the wreckers. This is a new take on the wreckers. It's not exactly the ones you know. And I think that's you know, healthy for the brand. I think it's really good that things don't just are static and well, you can't tamper with that. You know, these things are there to be tampered with and given that fresh coat of paint and given a, a new lease of life really. And I feel that's largely what the IDW verse has done with things. It's it's taken what's there, but, you know, all the stuff that I created, Bob created, you know, the toy Makes created, uh, many talented people all contributed, and just you know saying, okay, well that's it. We don't want to get rid of that, but we're going to do it our way, give it a fresh spin, and and that's just I think why. Transformers keeps going it, it's not just the same thing rehashed it's it's a different take a different slant mm-hmm. is it
0: do you have a, a favorite bit of Transformers lore uh that that you've uh, contributed that that you like that you're uh, you're gratified to see pop up now and again
1: uh, yeah I mean I, I love the fact that you know we bought Unicron into the comic continuity and then gave him the yin to his yang in the shape of Primus. And and I love, you know, I grew up reading, apart from the British comics that were available, you know, Stanley and Jack Kirby's Fantastic Four or Thor or, you know, and I loved just how kind of bonkers the ideas were, you know, Celestials, Galactus, uh, you know, the Inhumans, you know, every issue of the Fantastic Four was some mind-blowing out there concept cosmic stuff and and really all i tried to do with transformers was say look this is these these are alien beings there's got to be a whole intergalactic storyline here you know there was a little tendency for them to be a bit earthbound you know i get that why that was but i wanted to reintroduce that sense of they they had a standing in the universe that there were literally primal forces at work behind this and give it that grandeur that Lee and Kirby and many others used to inject into those Marvel comics I loved. So, you know, I love that we got the Primus Unicron thing in there. The Wreckers will always have a, a you know, a big place in my heart just because what's not to love about them? And, and you know, I, yeah, I you know, there's, there's so much. And I'm, I'm always pleased when... Like I say, I see something that I've contributed to the the brand endure and evolve. And, and I just feel great. You know, if other people like it enough to want to use it, that's as flattering as it gets.
0: Awesome. So so you could answer the, the age old question, Galactus versus Unicron, who wins? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, it would be a good one, that. Um, my money, would, my money would be on Galactus. You know, depends, depends on who's writing it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, um, uh, so you've you've done uh, a lot of work, uh, you know, in all the iterations of Transformers comics, Marvel, Dreamwave to IDW, and you mentioned with IDW, you got to create kind of a completely new, fresh take on the Transformers universe. So, how did you compare that experience with uh, with what you'd done with Marvel and Dreamwave, where you were? You you didn't come into the Genesis, but you you had uh, been contributing. But the, but with IDW, you got to basically birth a whole new Transformers canon.
1: Yeah, it was a new thing for me with IDW. I'd always come into something up and running before that. Even the UK stories had had one out there before I jumped in. But and you know, no problem with that. But it was deeply refreshing to be able to say, look let's this this starts here you know there may be stuff we haven't seen yet but we're building this in blocks from the ground up and and when i when i put in my initial pitch you know chris ryle and i chewed it over for a long time to make sure that it was it was the same but different enough you know like that old movie quote give me the same but different and i th- i think we wanted to make it recognizable to fans but make it completely a, a, look, a jumping in point. You don't need to know it. You know. Hopefully you can pick up infiltration and not know anything about Transformers and just read it, and it builds as you go along and you understand more about it. And, and that was it. It was that idea that we didn't want to bring a lot of baggage from previous iterations along with us. It had to be a. It felt like it had to be a fresh start, and it was very liberating for me to start to build our own Transformers universe. So, yeah, it's it's almost unique in as much as that's the first time I've ever got in right at the very beginning. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, it must have been fun to kind of pick and choose what characters you added in, because you know a lot of. A lot of uh, before that, a lot of Transformers stories had tended to start off. You always start off with the season one and the season two characters and that's it. But really, I got the sense that you said, OK, I've got this entire universe of Transformers characters I can pick from. OK, yes, the, the first core group will introduce the season one characters, of course, because everyone's familiar with them. But then let's throw in lots of different characters. And, and I really thought that made the IDW universe uh, very uh, kind of inclusive and expansive.
1: Yeah, I mean, one of the touchstones we took was the Marvel Ultimate line, you know, which took all those characters kind of back to basics but remade them a little bit. And, and that was the, even the pacing of those stories was something we wanted to, 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 to kind of include, to make it part of this, that it wasn't just this, you know, issue one of Marvel's Transformers comic, starts off with double-page spreads, more or less, of all the characters just introducing themselves. And we wanted to drip-feed characters into the narrative, to hold Optimus Prime back till the very end of infiltration, to maybe have Megatron only peripherally involved at first. And just, you know, that perspective thing of having the thing expand in front of the eyes of the humans involved in terms of the first Transformers we meet are Ratchet and Runabout and Runamuck, maybe Thundercracker, I think, or Skywalk, but they're they're not sort of key, key players. We don't actually see a transformation until issue two or the end of issue one. You know, it, it just, we wanted to avoid doing the way the way it done before and bring in that slow, slow burn. You know, maybe a little too slow because I think at first the feedback IDW were getting, of course we, we were in the internet age, so it was happening as we were putting infiltration out. That idea that I think readers were maybe getting at for some some full-on robot action, which is when we Devised and commissioned Stormbringer. So, almost we were responding immediately to the kind of feedback we were getting on infiltration. And it's like, well, okay, let's do the Cybertron storyline, and that you can have robots aplenty in that. And meanwhile, we can continue this slower curve in infiltration escalation. And then the spotlights came into the mix. So, it was very much an evolving continuity you know we were responsive i think to the, the the way it was being perceived and yeah. so suddenly you had Stormbringer, suddenly you had the spotlights and everything then felt like we could take our time on the core series
0: i think that did help the universe feel a lot like lived in as well uh, i enjoyed that
1: yeah and you know and we wanted you know some people don't like kind of humans in transformers or they'd rather just have the robots but we really wanted i don't think you get the awe aspect of the robots unless you're looking up at it literally like verity does when she encounters megatron and you're getting that sense of gasp and look up so we we very much wanted it to be a human-centric first arc and for you to care a bit about those characters and And, you know, talking about subsequent writers picking up, I was always very pleased when Nick or James would bring back Verity into the storyline. Because, you know, I I had a definite soft spot for that character as as we went along with the original series. Yeah. So it's no
0: secret that Grimlock has been a favorite character of yours, the, the Dinobot leader. Uh, you've, you've used him a lot throughout many of the iterations of Transformers. So what keeps you bringing you back to, to his character? What, what do you find compelling about his story arc?
1: Uh, I, th- I think he appeals to me in that he's that shaded character. He's not necessarily all good. He's not necessarily a bad guy. But I've always liked the more conflicted, the less, you know, I always find the archetypes, even Optimus Prime, As somewhat limiting, in as much as you can't go too far wrong with them. You know, a lot of people didn't like my shading of Optimus Prime in the Transformers eighty-four issue zero issue. But I, you know, and you've got to be careful with those archetypes a little bit. But uh, with Grimlock, he's that perfect character who could go one way, could go the other way. He's a little bit gruff and and un sympathetic and i think the trick with those characters is to make people like them nevertheless and and he's just you know, i like irascible you know difficult characters they they give you so much more meat as a writer you know and again megatron to a certain extent is megatron optimus prime is optimus prime but in the middle ground you've got some of the more interesting characters like the sort of the wreckers like Grimlock, who you know, you're in a war, wars are dirty on both sides, you know, you can't kind of keep your hands clean. And I like that realism that you can get from characters like that, where they're forced into difficult decisions, it's not always the right decision. And it just story wise, it's just there's more to grab hold of there. Mm-hmm. Also, he turns uh, I know into it's... also he turns into a T Rex. You know what's not
0: <laughs> like. <laughs> I know you probably haven't really directly worked with him, but uh, just recently, Greg Berger was inducted into the uh, the Hall of Fame, the Transformers Hall of Fame, as the voice of Grimlock in uh, in the TV show, of course. But uh, I did what just want to mention that, even though it's been different mediums, but Grimlock has been a, a favorite character for a lot of fans, both in the in the visual, uh, in the you know the cartoon medium and also in the comics. So, uh, and they, they do have some, you know, some slightly different, different portrayals, but I think both of them are, are really exciting and interesting.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's nice, you know, there's room for various interpretations of Grimlock and, you know, I mean, I love Greg to bits. He's such a lovely guy and I think it's wonderful. They've, they've got him into the hall of fame where he definitely belongs and, you know, there's the, I still get a thrill, you know. I mean, I've, I, I, for the um, UK conventions, I used to write a lot of the, the sort of audio plays they would put on in the evening. And I met Greg at a few of those and some of the US cons. And just having Greg do lines I've written live on stage is a particular thrill, you know, really amazing. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to have these amazing voice actors, literally they're live doing sort of a me Grimlock or, you know, you know, Scott McNeil doing waspinator lines, you know, fabulous. Just it's great fun.
0: So uh, let's, let's talk a little bit more about Transformers 84. So you mentioned uh, Optimus Prime. I did want to, maybe I'll use that to segue into one of the questions I had about uh, Optimus Prime. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned the the little bit of shading you gave to him and his decision to to sacrifice the Ark. Uh, the expanded backstory that comes up in Transformers 84 makes his sacrifice, I, I, at least, uh, you know, of course, this is given hindsight of four million years later. But it does make it seem a little bit more foolhardy than noble that, you know, he, he's, he basically sacrifices himself and all his closest friends to take to to at a chance to get rid of Megatron, not realizing that there are other. Decepticons that are maybe just as bad or even worse that, and he he puts Cybertron in a worse position. Do you see Optimus Prime's kind of urge for self-sacrifice as maybe a character flaw, like a core character flaw that he has to deal
1: with? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think, you know, I think he makes the decision he makes in issue zero for all the right reasons. He thinks, you know, Mm -hmm. I think he really is thinking we're in an impossible situation there's only one thing to do here. And he gets it wrong. And, you know, that's what I love is that a lot of their, everything that rolls out from that is effectively he makes a bad decision for the right reasons or so he believes. And then everything is effectively him making that right or trying to make that right. The fact that we then wake up on, they wake up on earth and he's endangered a whole load of, innocent alien life forms to him you know it again it just to me adds the fact that he makes a mistake and is in continually trying to put that right or atone for it gives the character far more depth than just saying he's this great guy and he always gets it right and i really wanted to say that you know not that it, i don't want to undermine the character but that everything afterwards is I need to sort of put this right. I need to stop this escalating. I need to make right what I've done. And to carry that burden around is, you know, what often great men do, especially in a war situation. It's very hard to get all the decisions right. And I just, I just felt it gave every sort of subsequent action from Optimus Prime a, a slightly different slant, that he's always carried around this nugget of having set all these balls in motion that really could have been avoided with a different decision. So, you know, when he later sub- subsequently sacrifices himself, it's maybe more understandable that if, you know, if I'm just making this matter worse, Maybe it's better to remove myself from this. So maybe it just explains some of the the sort of later sacrifices. You know, I'm still not totally certain about sacrificing yourself in a computer game, but that story <laughs> is, is what it is, you know. But but still underlying that, I wanted something that said, this is this speaks to why he is like he is. Mm-hmm. So
0: in general, uh, we were, I mean, we were surprised last year to get Transformers 84 and coming back to uh, the, you know, the early 80s Marvel comics. So what what was the genesis of coming back to this backstory? I mean, we had Regeneration 1 a few years ago that wrapped up the old Marvel series, taking us up to 100. Uh, so what 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 got you back? What, what pulled you back in this time to, to get you back into the 80s? Well, uh, you know,
1: it was IDW just came to me. It was the 35th anniversary. Is that right? Yes, 35th uh, yes. anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And basically, they wanted something. It was only ever meant to be a one-shot. You know, the, the, that we got the limited series is great, but it was just meant to be an anniversary thing. And they thought, and I agreed that the best way to do that, well, initially it started off, the first idea was to do a prequel to the original series almost you know literally like an issue zero to the original run but to me that was limiting because they're at peace you know an awful lot happens in those first four or five pages but ostensibly before issue one they're all at peace you know there might be megatron plotting in the background but they didn't feel there was enough story there you know having said that. I see now Brian Ruckley come on to the new ongoing and do a brilliant, you know, pre-Civil War storyline. But I kind of felt we were limited to what we could do with it. So at that point, I counter-suggested that we did this storyline that loops in and out of what we know, because there felt like there were big enough gaps there to fill. And then subsequently, I got the idea of, looping in Man of Iron as, well, you we got the first UK story as well, but to fill in some blanks with that maybe and make it more canon, it always felt like a little bit of a standalone story, Man of Iron. And so I really wanted to pull it back into that. This, you know, it had been reprinted. It was one of the few UK stories that Marvel US reprinted in its run So it felt like the perfect one to pull back in and say, "No, this really happened, and this is the truth of it again." So you know, and so you know, while it took a couple of liberties, I I really think it it gave us a chance to say, "These." It was rather just two robots in a in a spacecraft. It's these two robots in a spacecraft for a reason, and that that is itself connected to the main storyline in 84. So, yeah, it just, it it was always meant to be just a one shot. Never thought we'd get a chance to do more. So when IDW came back and said, can we do a four-issue series? I already had a stack of ideas and, again, more gaps I felt could be filled or touched upon. So, you know, yeah, it's evolved from there and, you know, I would, dearly love to do more and you know i hope it's done well enough for idw that you know there's scope because i believe there's enough story out there for maybe another four issue series down the line when you had that initial
0: conversation was was the was the plan to see if you could also get andrew and jeff
1: back together uh no i don't think that was ever really on the cards I, i think right from the start idw had an idea that Guido would be the right artist for it. And, you know, I think they're completely right because when we used Guido on Regeneration One, he was able almost seamlessly to drop into a run that Andrew had been drawing and not exactly draw in Andrew's style, but not a million miles dissimilar either. He's, he's a real chameleon of an artist. and. He was able to do stuff that you would have looked at and said, well, that's Guido. And yet the flow didn't really jar between Andrew's issues and Guido's. The word
0: I use for Guido is respectful. He's very respectful of who came before him.
1: He is, but he's also very good at kind of subsuming his own style and, and making it work. And so I think right from the start, he was he was the first choice for 84 just because we'd seen IDW myself had seen what he could do with regeneration one. And and what's amazing with Guido's work on 84, I think is that it's, it is amazingly like the original Marvel comics and yet nothing like them. You know, obviously there's everything he does from poses to, to angles, to certain shots. He chooses very carefully, so he's still drawing as Guido, but you're almost conned into thinking you're looking at something older, something from that Marvel run. And then on top of that, you have JP's amazing colours, which which mimic the the old colours, colouring system. And so you just get almost completely sucked into this idea that you see, it's a very modern-looking comic, and yet it has that complete feel of those original stories as well.
0: Sorry, Charles. I had to ask.
1: <laughs> no, it's fine.
0: Everyone can ask a question. That's fine. <laughs> no, I mean that, and you know, some of these are your questions, Yoshi. So that's okay. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, just in general, what's how is it? Uh, work i mean working with with artists like guido with john paul bove i mean that these days in the digital age i imagine it's much easier to communicate to share pages and things like in the in the 80s was everything basically via via mail where you'd, you'd mail stuff off wait a couple of weeks and and get a response back and and now everything's pretty much instant
1: yeah you know it was back in the day it was fax machines and and uh and yes the the mails the post service or courier you know most artwork landed in the marvel u k offices, either you know sent riskily through the the royal Mail or um, were brought in by the artists. a lot of the artists, even if they weren't london based would make trips down with the artwork they were bringing <coughs> excuse me rather than go and risk it sort of disappearing en route. Uh, So, yeah, you know, it's, of course, nowadays you can see breakdowns and discuss and do revisions, and even once you get to finish pages, we can have, you know, tweaks and changes. So, of course, it's, in theory, much more fault proof. Um, But, of course, stuff still creeps through, you know, we we missed completely with issue two that we'd drawn a scene or Guido had drawn a scene with Impactor in it and uh, Sandstorm and uh, and Springer and the, the Wreckers he's not supposed to know at this point in terms of the UK storyline that followed. But we sort of missed that. We got the Wreckers right, but we missed in that scene that the characters that shouldn't have been together were together. So, you know, you can't catch everything, but yeah, it's obviously, it's much, much better now. Mm-hmm.
0: So uh, one thing that, uh, that I appreciated, of course, being a fan of the, of the old Marvel comics and having read all the issues, I, I saw a lot of deep cuts in the, uh, in Transformers 84, you know, things like, oh yeah, this connects to this and this and this, and, you know, particularly Thunderwing, seeing Thunderwing and Scorpionox show up. Uh, seeing references to Straxus and the smelting pool and everything. So how do you balance putting all those deep cut references in from the Marvel comics lore, uh, but still keeping the stories relatively self-contained for casual readers?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think you just have to be aware that not to include things that will baffle people. So, you know, if you're going to put Straxus in and have a throwaway line about a smelting pool, People will get that who know the storylines, but to others, it doesn't really matter that much. You know, they're going to see the smelting pool happen in an issue's time, so they'll get what a smelting pool is. It's just all the time you have to have kind of two eyes on it The, the, the fans, the people who know the original stories. So you're layering in stuff, you're joining dots, you know, you're including you know, real sort of touchstones from those issues. But on the other hand, you've got to look at it and go, is this still telling a story that you can just jump in and read? So, you know, it's that thing of Easter eggs. They're there, but they kind of, if you put Easter eggs in and they're baffling to the readers, you've just got to be aware that that's a no-no or, you know, use that very sparingly. So I think I've always tried with 84 to make it as first-time reader, if there's such a thing of Transformers comics these days, as as, <laughs> as possible. And certainly you can't, you know, it may well be picked up by somebody who's read the IDW continuity but never read the Marvel com- the comics. So it, it's, it's lovely to have the commentary in the back so you can flag up all these things but it just can't be a kind of essential thing in the story. It can't only be accessible to the people who know. So it's a fine balancing act. I hope I've got it right with 84. Um, but yeah, you've just got to have those two eye, two pairs of eyes on it all the time. Right. So uh, you made Punch
0: slash Counterpunch, the the core point of view character in Transformers 84. Uh, Do you plan to explore some of the, I guess the, the guilt and divided loyalty that he has uh, as a result of his actions? I mean, we we've seen him, uh, you know, he is clearly his Autobot uh, sympathies direct him to, to do what's right. He takes the information back to ultra Magnus, but he is basically, he stands by while Straxus is executing lots of Autobots in the smelting pool. And of course he, he doesn't say anything because he's counterpunch and he, he can't, give himself away. But I imagine that that creates a lot of internal conflict for him.
1: Yeah, it does. And, you know, I'd never used this character before. Um, I I say that, but possibly he was in a (laughs) UK story, but I never used him in any great extent. And once I did, I, I just found him a completely fascinating character. And this idea that when he switches from one to the other, it's not like he's punch all the time in a different set of armor. He's very much a different character when he's counterpunch. And, you know, it's, it's a kind of split personality. It's the dark half. It's all those interesting psychological things. And I thought immediately I kind of love this character because, you, you know, it's that thing, again, I was talking with Grimlock, of – the ones who are who walk that fine line and could go either way are are more interesting as characters and you never quite know what to expect. And you know, is he punch, is he counterpunch? You know, there's it's a it's a something I'd really like to again, if we do more 84, to explore more of. You know, he's very much to an extent the narrator in in this mini series and the, and the issue zero. But I, f- I figure if we go on with him, I'd like to make him much more of a, a, a part of the the action as well. I mean, there's a little bit of that in 84, but I'd like to get more inside his head or heads as, as if we get a chance to do more of that. He's a, he's a great character.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think this is actually the first time he's been written like that. I think usually he is just an Autobot in disguise as a as Decepticon.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, and I thought that was, that's fine, but I, I always look to see whether there's something more you can do with a character, yeah. something a little different, you know, and again, it comes, I think, from that IDW experience of, okay, there's Ultra Magnus. Can we do him in a little way? Not, you know, sort of trash anything that's come before but is there a little twist on his character every time and i suppose that's just what fascinates me about storytelling and character driven stuff is is to take those characters you think you know and you know twist them one way or the other and turn things on their head and and hopefully confound expectations yeah so it what so I mean,
0: you mentioned if you get the chance to get um, more to do more with Transformers 84. So what can we do as fans? I mean, is it just encourage everyone to buy as many copies as possible and make sure people buy the trade paperback and everything?
1: Absolutely. You know, I mean, I think, you know, while I would love to say it's, you know, it's all to do with IDW loving to employ me, I have a feeling it's probably also <laughs> down to this thing performing well enough as a comic in its own right and then a collected edition. So, you know, I think the issue zero did well. You know, as far as I know, the 84 is doing well as a limited series. But yeah, it's just, you know, we've had great reviews from you guys. Thank you very much. And lots of other online sources. So I think there's a critical mass here that says we've pleased people. You can't please everybody, but, you know, I think we've pleased a lot of the sort of fans, even some of the diehards out there. And I think, you know, sales in the end is if it does well enough for IDW, there's every chance that we might do another one.
0: Great. Maybe, maybe we'll even get uh, up to issue 80 in a four issue limited series.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that, that would be great. I'd be, I'd be fine with that. <laughs>
0: So, um, I mean, you've you've worked on more than just transformers. I wanted to also ask you about uh, the the comic you're doing with Jeff Senior uh, to the Death. Maybe you could tell folks who, who haven't maybe haven't uh, heard of that or, or gotten a chance to check that out what that's about.
1: Yeah, we um, a while back Jeff and I had talked about doing something together again, creator owned. Jeff largely now works in advertising, doing storyboards and animatics. Uh, apart from anything I think it pays a lot better than comics work but hey (laughs) I think he was also just feeling that that need to kind of create and go wild and and do something that wasn't you know a guy walking along or drinking a can of coke or something else you know I think he was just feeling a little bit bottled up and so we just said look let's tap into some of the things we've done before. We did a series called Dragon's Claws back in the eighties and of course death's head. And that had that kind of sci-fi, you know, slightly, you know, sort of acerbic humor, you know, just sort of that edge that a lot of British comics like 2000 AD brought to their storytelling. And, we thought, well, let's channel some of that energy from those series, which, you know, still thankfully are reprinted and out there, but we wanted to do something that was ours, that was different, and so it's very much channeling those series we did for Marvel UK, but creating something completely new. It's a big sci-fi conspiracy thriller set in the future on a a dystopian world that's being, you know, literally ground down to extinction by huge corporations and kind of one man against the system but with a backdrop of war on other worlds and war as mass entertainment. So, you know, hopefully it's got a sort of a, a current satirical cynical look at the world in it but, you know, it was a chance to cut loose It's got a alien Soldier of Fortune-style character called Killer Toa, who's kind of our death's head. So we took our sort of greatest hits, I guess. There's a few mechs in there. So, you know, we just bundled everything into this, what turned into a 10-issue maxi-series. And, yeah, it's all out there now. And, you know, it's available on Comixology in digital form. Here in the UK, it's available in print and slipcased editions. So yeah, it's it you know it's, it was a mammoth undertaking, but we're really pleased with it and uh, lovely to have something that we did ourselves and published ourselves. And you know we had some help from a company called Get My Comics, who acted as our publisher distributor and. It involved us literally getting on the phone to comic shops and asking them to stock it. So it was uh, it was a great fun experience and very pleased with it now. Sort of sitting in its its slipcase sets.
0: Awesome. So uh, people can can find that. I think it's with to dot com right to dash the dash death dot com.
1: That's it. Yeah, and like I say, it's available on comictology, so you can read it in digital format if you want, or, you know, if you're, if you can stand a bit of uh, sort of postage costs, uh, you know, get my comics do ship to the U S and worldwide. So it is there. If anybody wants to have a look, it's kind of Jeff and I doing what we do. <laughs> So, I mean, since you were uh, working
0: for Marvel UK at the time of writing Transformers, you created some original characters like uh, uh, Death's Head, you mentioned. Also, I I remember the Neo Knights. Those were uh, a latter day and Transformers, you know, the first kind of superhero slash mutant group in uh, introduced into Transformers. And I know there was a there were plans or thoughts of doing a series about them. uh, Would you, would you ever go back to them if maybe if Marvel slash Disney ever, uh, ever had the up, ever gave you
1: the opportunity? You know, I'd I'd like to do something with um, the Neo Knights. And, you know, there's nothing to say we couldn't do some kind of Transformers 84-esque reappearance of them (laughs) if we ever got that far with it. You know, I'd love to, I don't, you know, I think there's, there might be, problems using circuit breaker now but you know i'm sure we could you know work around that i don't know how easy or difficult it would be to to use those characters without a kind of marvel stamp on them so Mm -hmm. but you know never say never on these things and you know i i really enjoyed doing those issues and and bringing those characters into the mix so who knows love to if we get a chance so, uh, do you have anything,
0: uh, anything coming up in the future that uh, that you're interested to talk about, or, or anything we can plug, or any future comic works that you've got coming out soon?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm working on a few things at the moment. I mean, I'm 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 heavily involved in Transformers Earth Wars, which is a mobile game. Um, I, I don't think it's just over here. I think it's generally available, um, and that is a kind of ongoing thing, really. That you know. That started four or so years ago, and I still supply the, the saga storylines for that and dialogues for when they bring in new characters. So that's that's been an amazingly evolving thing that, you know, we got to debut the Dinobot combiner in Earth Wars, and we brought in two original characters, Sentius Magnus and Sentius Malus, who – uh unique to the game so which was very cool We're all done with you know Hasbro's designers so it it's been a great fun job um I'm doing some a, a comic version of a 90s arcade game called Battle Toads at the moment nice. which you know is making a comeback as a as a game and there's a there's a comic to go along with that um you know I I'm, I'm doing a a few more sort of self published things and yeah, just generally, you know, it's just keeping busy really. And, uh, i always, you know, hopeful that we'll get to do some more Transformers 84.
0: Cool. I, I do notice you're wearing the Wreck and Rule shirt. I, I think yep. that, that was, uh, yeah. well, no. <laughs> I, our <laughs> yeah. friend, uh, friend of the show, Lady Wreck, uh, was, uh, was producing those shirts a little
1: That's while ago. Right. Yeah. You know, generally I, I, if I knew she was coming over to, uh, transformers uk convention i'd always ask if i can have a sort of refresher of the shirt because they wear out (laughs) but yeah no fabulous and uh, lady rec actually had a mcadams t-shirt with her last time she was over so i picked up one of those too.
0: awesome yeah all right i think i think that's uh, we've we've got all the the questions well there's lots more questions we could ask but but i think we, we've kept you uh, long enough but we do want to end the interview we with all our guests we go through a set of rapid fire questions so mm-hmm. if you can indulge us just a few more minutes we can th- these are real quick either or yes no questions we'll run through
1: sure go go ahead
0: <laughs> all right okay so yeah we'll start off um you know they get they get uh I think they get progressively more detailed, but the first one is pretty easy. Uh, Autobot or Decepticon? Decepticon. Oh, uh, who is your favorite Decepticon?
1: Galvatron, but maybe Bludgeon, maybe Thunderwing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Fair enough. (laughs) I'm, I'm also developing a big like for Straxus, the more I use him in 84. You know about Straxus, right, Charles?
0: <laughs> yes, yes, Yoshi. I'm okay. <laughs> uh Transformers live action movie. Uh one, two, three, four,
1: five or bumblebee? Uh the first one, the first live action movie. I love Bumblebee as well, but the sheer wow factor of seeing it on the big screen with digital transformations, uh I I loved. And I still think the first movie is is a great fun popcorn movie. So uh, yeah, probably the first of the, the Bayverse ones. Okay. Uh, so this, this one, I'm going to tailor this to you
0: a little bit because uh, uh, we usually ask about what your favorite comic series is, but I think I'll, I'll, I'll tweak it slightly and say, what is the, uh, I guess, favorite comic issue, story arc, whatever that you haven't worked on. Hmm, that's a good
1: question. Um, I mean, just as a whole, I've you know, i I've really enjoyed James's more than meet the more than meets the eye. You know, I just I I think his 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 issues are beyond packed, and you know, there's so much in every issue. I just kind of love what he does with it. Um, wow, that's a difficult one. Favorite? I mean, are we limiting it to Transformers or? Yeah, for this, for this question, yeah. yes, we're we'll limited to Transformers. Okay, favorite story? Wow, that's a that's a tough one. Um, I really like some of the tangential ones. So I really liked Hearts of Steel. I really thought that was great fun. And I really liked the Dreamwave G.I. Joe Transformers one that Jay Lee drew, you know, the sort of okay. uh, kind of Second World War-based one. I, yeah, I kind of like the, the sort of almost what-if ones.
0: Cool. All right, uh third party toys, yes or no.
1: Yes. Is that the right answer? <laughs> okay. I don't know. You know, I, <laughs> the funny thing is I'm not a big toy collector. You know, I, I have a few, yeah. you know, characters that I've you know, I've got a masterpiece Grimlock up there somewhere and and so on. But yes, I suppose so, unless Hasbro are gonna get upset about my saying that. Then it then it's a definite no. <laughs> Uh, cats or dogs? Cats. We have a cat. I've always been more cats.
0: Cool. Coffee or tea?
1: Both, but first thing in the morning, coffee. <laughs> Chicken or steak? Steak. But it's got to be a good.
0: Time. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> not not a McDonald's steak. <laughs> <You knew. laughs>
1: No, no. A bad steak uh, is just to be avoided, but yeah, a really good steak. Uh Pepsi or
0: Coke? Coke. A Burger King or McDonald's or whatever fast food place you prefer.
1: Yeah, I I my I, I'm not big of, a big fan on either, but often in the States, because we don't have them here, I will track down a Wendy's if uh If I can, I'm over. So I do like their burgers, particularly. Okay. Uh, History or science?
0: History. Uh, If you play video games, uh, Xbox, PlayStation, or Switch?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I don't really. I shouldn't admit that saying I write for Earth Wars and (laughs) I'm writing a Battletoads game and things like that. But I'm not a big gamer, so uh, I'll I'll do a slight pass on that one. (laughs) A PC or Mac?
0: Mac. iPhone yeah. or Android? iPhone. Is there a favorite phone app that you can't live without?
1: It sounds terribly British, this, but it would be the weather app, I think. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Marvel or DC? Marvel. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I, I was born and raised on Marvel and... I I never really got into DC in the same way. I think, you know, I used to love Stanley's interconnected universe thing so much. Yeah. Uh, Is there a favorite uh, Marvel character? Spider-Man. That was always my character. The one I loved pretty much above all others. Stallone or Schwarzenegger? Schwarzenegger. I I think Schwarzenegger's got a dash of knowing humor about his, you know, lack of acting, if you like. (laughs) Pixar or DreamWorks? Pixar. Uh,
0: Is there a guilty pleasure movie that you'll watch whenever it comes on, whenever you see it?
1: Yeah. Well, there's a few of those probably, but, you know, uh, possibly... The biggest guilty pleasure movie is American Werewolf in London, closely followed by Walter Hill's The Warriors, which ah, I nice, which I adore. <laughs> Star
0: Wars or Star Trek? Star Trek. Good man. <laughs> Simpsons, Family Guy or Rick and Morty? Simpsons
1: walking dead or game of thrones game of thrones i i I love the comic of walking dead but after a while with the tv show i couldn't quite kind of sustain my interest but game of thrones i watched right to the very end cool okay uh
0: sports so these are kind of u.s centric sports but we'll add in uh we'll add in a british one uh for you as well so uh NFL, uh, MLB, NHL, UFC, NBA, or Premier League?
1: Premier League. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I've been to some baseball games and some football games when I'm over, but no, it's hard hard for me to like anything other than soccer much over there. (laughs) Uh, Porsche, Ferrari, Lamborghini, or VW Beetle? (laughs) <laughs> is it is it tactful to say vw beetle now it would probably be a, a lamborghini i think of those <laughs> all right last
0: question blonde brunette or redhead
1: <laughs> it has to be brunette my wife might see this <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> all right so i think yeah you've su- you survived the gauntlet of our <laughs> fire questions Thank you so much uh, for coming on and and talking with us. Well,
1: thanks for inviting me, guys. It's been a pleasure, and uh, you know I've I've loved listening to the podcast. So thanks a lot for all the kind words on eighty four.
0: Oh, thank thank you, and thanks so much for continuing to listen. Uh, we we appreciate it. It's always great to know. I mean, seriously, you're you're one of my heroes. I mean, one of the one of the people I grew up with on Transformers. Uh, and you've you, since you've kept coming back to Transformers over 35 years. There's been so much that that, that I've really enjoyed uh, that you've worked on that that I've enjoyed reading and watching. So so thank you so much for everything you've done for this franchise and and everything you've contributed and and just making Transformers what it is today.
1: Uh, thanks very much. It's much appreciated, and you know it's you guys who have kept me in a job for all these years. So thank you. <laughs>
0: Well, we we hope you're you'll you'll keep on going and and yeah, I've, in particular more Transformers '84, but you know just more Transformers in general. So yeah, thanks.
1: Definitely works for me. It never ends, as I'm fond of saying. <laughs> so, uh,
0: where can people find you on the internet on social media?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm on Facebook and Twitter and uh, and yeah, you know otherwise you know you can you can also find. To the death on facebook and twitter we're always keeping an eye on that so yeah you know just generally reach out there's a there's a regeneration one facebook page where we've just field any general transformers questions and queries so yeah you know i'm out there if uh, you want to send me some questions awesome
0: All right, everyone. Thanks so much uh, for listening and watching to our interview with Mr. Simon Furman. Uh, This is from the Transmissions podcast. You can find us at TransmissionsPodcast.com. We do lots of different podcasts. We do uh, uh, two shows every week. We do a toy show all about Transformers toys and merchandise, and we do a Transformers media show, Transmissions Alt Mode, every uh, Friday where we talk about all about Transformers comics and media Uh, And we review a lot of Transformers comics of which Transformers 84 is one of them. And we are looking forward to the final issue of Transformers 84. It should be coming uh, very soon. No, 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 no. We want a lot more. What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) We want a lot more. (laughs) The final issue in this series, not not the final issue forever, (laughs) but, uh, but that should be out. uh, It might already be out by the time you're, uh, you're watching this, but also check out the, uh, the trade paperback, which collects, issue zero and one through four, that should be out in a, in a month or two's time. It should be available very soon.
1: Yeah. Uh, I so think yeah, actually everyone- as well, uh, in November, there's a, mm-hmm. a one shot that collects the issue zero issue. If you missed that and the original stories. So issue one of Marvel U S and man of iron. I think that's out in November. From IDW.
0: Great. Okay. So, uh, be on the lookout for that as well.
1: Brilliant. Well, thank you guys.
0: All right. Thanks everyone. And every uh, will see you next bye time. Bye, it's in bye media, everybody. Uh, bye. Comics of which Transformers bye. are forward to the bye. final issue that should be coming. Uh, no, we want a lot more. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> we want a lot more. <laughs> <laughs> the final issue in this. This series, not, yeah, not the final okay. issue forever, <laughs> but uh, but that should be out. Uh, it might already be out by the time you're uh, you're watching this. But also check out the uh, the trade paperback, which collects issue zero and one through four. That should be out in a in a month or two's time. It should be available very soon. Yeah,
1: uh, I think.